This is Luminous, Conversations on Sacred Arts, coming to you from the Institute of Sacred Arts at St. Vladimir's Seminary here in Yonkers, New York. And I'm your host, Peter Butenev. Welcome. So our podcast continues to evolve with just over 50 episodes. Going forward, we are relying more and more on your support and also your ideas. I'd really like to invite you to visit our website, instituteofsacredarts.com slash luminous. The bottom of the page, you'll see a contact us link, and I'd love for you to drop us a line. While you're there, let me know especially what you've enjoyed on this podcast what kind of episodes, which personalities you've enjoyed the most, and tell me if you have any ideas for future guests. I'd be thrilled to hear from you. Interested, as you know, in talking with people from all walks of life, all kinds of entry points into the arts, into spirituality. Contact us. Help us continue to produce Luminous financially, spiritually, and with your ideas. Instituteofsacredarts.com Uh, My great joy, and uh, many of my friends have been anticipating this episode, uh, is to welcome Nicholas Samaras to Luminous. Nicholas is from Patmos, Greece. Patmos is the island of the apocalypse. And uh, at the time of the Greek junta, military dictatorship, he was brought in exile to be raised in America So he has lived in Greece, in England, Wales, Belgium, Switzerland, Italy, Austria, Germany, Yugoslavia, Jerusalem, 13 different states in America. And uh, his bio says that he writes from a place of permanent exile. I think that's significant. Uh, His first book, Hands of the Saddlemaker, won the Yale series of Younger Poets Award, and his current book is American Psalm, World Psalm. And uh, he's completing a new manuscript of poetry and a memoir of his childhood years lived underground. Um, That's going to be amazing. How's that coming, Nicholas, Uh, the the current... uh, work, the current book? Is this something you're able to devote time to these days? Um, On occasion, in the evening, it all becomes a matter of discipline, working from 11 o'clock at night to however long I can stay awake. Um, So we try to um, hold with the practice and and develop a, a voice and to be able to share. Yeah, I'm sorry I charged right in with that question before I even said hello and welcome. That's fine. <laughs> but I was just so excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, hi. <laughs> um, you know, I, I it's it's been a busy season for anyone who is, especially as guess of the of the Christian faith and celebrating Easter. Um, how have you been, and and uh, how has how has that um, affected your life what is what has been bringing you joy as i like to as i like to ask well every day is joy every day is an opportunity to be productive uh to grow emotionally spiritually socially um uh we're like everybody swamped with work and duties and family and obligations And working as an artist, as a writer, we have to grab the time, usually late at night, as best as possible. And for me, the entire reason for living is to be able to communicate and share. Mm. And I I think that's Mm. a worthy endeavor. Indeed. Indeed. Um, Your background is 
uniquely nomadic. Uh, you know, I, I I read out the catalog of of, of places you've lived, yes. and uh, um, kept thinking. You know, in uh, in Hebrews thirteen fourteen, it says, uh, "For here we have no lasting city." We're looking for the city that is to come. And in older translations, it says we have no continuing city. And uh, so there's a sense that uh, for all of us, our, our existence is nomadic or, or even exilic. Um, perhaps some of us especially. Uh, how, how do you kind of place yourself within that idea of a kind of a universally... I moving nomadic exilic. I I, th- I think all of those are applicable. I I think the modern world is mobile. I I grieve uh, the loss of tiny villages where people were born and raised and grew up and 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 lived their whole lives there. Um, we are a nomadic society in the modern era, and. I'm a big believer in circumstance. Uh, circumstance affects us. It certainly did in my life. And uh, I have felt since birth a sense of removal and migration, immigration, uh, being a refugee, um, being impinged upon and affected by world wars, um, political systems, and the circumstances that force movement and and uh, exchange. So, my living through multiple countries was culturally enriching, but unsettling, and. Yeah. Coming to America and then living in multiple states in America, you end up with your favorites, but <laughs> circumstances force you to live where you may not prefer to live, but you sacrifice for family, for a job, for employment. And, and those external forces tend to dictate what your choices may come down to. And mm. for me, language is the one power of redemption so that I can work with language wherever I am huh. to perhaps take negative experiences and turn them into positive experiences to redeem the experiences and make the best of it and share that with others. You began by saying you, you, you grieve the, the loss of, of a village life, a simpler life, and perhaps a more uh, physically stable life. Um, and I wonder if someone in the villages would say i long for a life of of travel of movement of um i guess it's not just i'm i'm not just trying to say the grass is always greener but i suppose there are um there are pluses and minuses to to stability and to movement um and 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 i guess another aspect of that that came out from what you just said is um, sometimes it's by choice, you know, gee, let's move, let's travel, let's experience the world. And then very often it's not by choice. It's kind of a forced movement, a forced exile. Yes. Isn't it? Um, I'm a big yeah. believer in a home base. Um, always always okay. establish your home base. And then you're free to travel anywhere. And then, but always, always having a place of stability in which you're able to come home and recharge and experience, you know, other cultures, other languages, as I have, and 
always have that ability to come back to a place of home and of permanence. Uh, I have something written uh, that is a search for permanence while passing through, which is a wonderful oxymoron. And, yes. and, but, but it does <laughs> exemplify um, that security and stability of a home base from which you can um, spread out and explore. And in that way, you can achieve the best of both worlds. Mm. Is the home base that you talk about uh, necessarily a, a, a geographical, physical space, or, or can you talk also about a home base uh, of the mind, of the I, heart? I, I absolutely believe in both. Um, okay. A physical home base is, is very important. It's where you keep all of your furniture, <laughs> and it's where you keep <laughs> your books and your life yes. and your relationships. And uh, But also, a home base is a place of memory. And, and for me, um, I was born and raised in a tiny village outside of Cambridge, and... Uh, tiny villages in Greece, and and my grandparents, you know, from uh, the Peloponnesos, Tripoli, and Gagalianos, and my living in Patmos, and then my going to school in Thessaloniki, and and so all of those villages um, become the framework of one's foundation, and so it can be both physical and emotional. In, in based in memory. And going back to visit would not be bad to those different places. Right. The, the kind of oxymorons you talk about, um, I, I think there's more than one story I know, certainly from the Orthodox tradition, maybe even from the Buddhist tradition as well, where somebody encounters uh, an elder sitting in their hut and says, you know, what do you do sitting around here all day? And the answer is, uh, I'm not sitting around, I'm on a journey. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. For me, my second home of my heart is Simonos Petros Monastery on Mount Athos, which mm. when I lived in Thessaloniki as a, as a student, uh, I would visit, you know, every three weeks. And, and, Wow. and just settle in and follow. And that was my place of emotional and spiritual recharging, just to, you know, once mm -hmm. the world depletes you um, socially and economically, it's nice to mm -hmm. be able to go back there for me and, and just to be able to spend a week and, and follow the services and look at the nature and just recharge and contemplate. I think meditation and contemplation is is vital for the human spirit. Hold on. Mm, sure. Um, <laughs> there's another, uh, I don't know if it's an oxymoron or an irony, but sometimes we have to go somewhere in order to settle down. Absolutely. Uh, I, those, I believe, right? I really believe in in travel as a means of confrontation, inner confrontation, huh. so that you're able to compare and contrast um, any stasis you might be in in a home base and that you can extend yourself to be able to ask the important questions or reevaluate and contemplate mm. you know, the, the, the journey of your life and how you're able to express that. My wife is very fond of the uh, of the expression um, defamiliarization. Oh, absolutely! Um, I Victor, love that. I love Victor Shklovsky, nineteen twelve, uh, one of the most important articles I've ever come across in my life. Art as technique. Uh, I recommend oh. it to everybody. Um, it's a very brief, eight to ten page article on defamiliarization, the Russian word, which I love. It's my favorite Russian word, ostranine. I had to 
in terms of being a writer and observer of social criticism and political structures and um, you know the the combination of the social, political, and spiritual and emotional. So those would be my foundations of approach. Mm. Um, I guess a word that comes to mind from what you just said is the um, prophecy, prophets. You know, the, the, the prophets certainly of the, of the Hebrew Bible were those who, uh, not so much who foretold the future, but who saw the present. And, and, you know, they were the first protest writers, <laughs> you know, not the first, but I mean, they were, it, it comes across as protest. Absolutely. Against absolutely accurate. bad religion, against bad politics, against the, yes. the systemic abuse of the poor. Yes. Um, we, we quote, yeah. Uh, we quote the social observer Ziggy Marley, don't know your past, don't know your future. Ha <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, he had a good dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we should come back to Laurie Anderson in a yes. moment, but um, what you said uh, just struck me when you said... Uh, you don't consider yourself so much a poet as much as a writer. And this cuts straight to something I'm really interested in. And I, I need help unpacking the difference between poetry and writing. I, you know, it's, it's not like a hermetically sealed two different compartments. You know, they're, they definitely they, they flow into each other. But what makes writing into something that one would call poetry? Uh, For me, I identify with the verb of writing more so than the nomenclature of a writer. Okay. Uh, For me, it's it's about communicating on as many levels as possible. We can go into many definitions of what poetry is. For me, it is a deeper truth. It is a deeper emotion that connects to an audience on an emotional level and an intellectual level, and even a spiritual level at times, but certainly a social level, that we may be able to plumb a deeper sense of truth and understanding and nuance. And so for me, it's less about the title and more about the active verb of, of creation mm-hmm. to be able to share mm-hmm. and try to get the message across mm-hmm. as artistically as possible, as plainly as possible, without obscurity, and make a human connection. For me... I've always considered myself to be a novelist who writes in verse, um, which is okay. which is amusing. Me, <laughs> uh, uh, it just happens to be poetry. Just happens to be my first language. Uh, I can be fluent in prose as well and nonfiction, um, but I always return to the lyricism of poetry because there's a very musical element. And that's why I gravitate toward um, influences such as Laurie Anderson and Joni Mitchell Mm. and Bob Dylan Mm. and King David and uh, and, uh, St. John Chrysostom's Liturgy, uh, which is the most poetic uh, text I've ever come across. So... All of those things, for me, equate to lyricism and poetry, and that's what gets me interested. Hmm. Two of the things you said about that perhaps distinguish poetry from prose are uh, lyricism and writing in verse. I suppose when you say writing in verse, this implies a certain rhythm? or a certain uh, constriction of, of, of sorts that, that you don't have... I mean, really, you're, you're talking to a, a novice when it comes to the 
analysis and understanding of poetry, and maybe that's a good thing. I, I'm, I'm the totally defamiliarized Perhaps poet. I could add <laughs> you know, yeah, that yeah. an element of poetry for me is memorability. And many, many okay. times people are able to memorize poems or memorize songs. Um, right. My father always used to ask me, why can't I learn my Greek language um, the way I learn my rock and roll lyrics? And, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, my teenage response was, well, it's, it's memorable. It's, it's got a backbeat. Um, uh, yeah. And, yeah. But, but you know, I, look at, I look at 9-11 and how people turn to poetry uh, many times uh, in the days after. And it's that memorability, it's that soothing um, cadence, and it may be the lyrical imagery. Uh, mm -hmm. For me, imagery is all important. And uh, some of those elements that are, that are found in poetry elevate the art of poetry in communication for me. So that's just my personalized approach. Um. And you speak of uh, memorability, rhythm. You even said backbeat. Um, I, th I think too of um, just the studies of, of orality and oral cultures. How they most often will recite uh, history or recite stories of meaning. Yes. With rhythm, with poetry, with imagery. Yes. Heavy, heavy on imagery and metaphor, because you don't have the written word to. As a reference, you, you you have this memory, especially if you consider the 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 classical case of Homer, who was mm. known to be blind, but was able to mm. recite thousands of pages of uh, uh, poetry in the Odyssey and Iliad, and and all of the rhetorical devices that poetry employs, such as repetition and and anaphora which I think is a magical word. Uh, that Anaphora yeah, for the, the, the uh, non-Greek speakers. The refrains that yes. can branch out and come back to a root image. And um, the, the, the whole approach of, of uh, that technique in poetry that enables us to remember better and... and, and uh, all of the things that I've mentioned before. This might be a lovely time to ask you to read something of your own. Um, that anything you would like, especially perhaps something you might illustrate some of what we've just been talking about. Well, um, I, I have, I have um, a few poems. My, my approach in writing is... I'm a social commentator. Uh, I, I write about political and social themes, but I also write about relationships and and emotional um, things and and you know the environment. But I, I have one poem here since this is uh, about the sacred arts. I have one poem called Approaching Something Sacred, and it reads as follows. You don't want words, a momentary hush that can fit eternity is appropriate, a sense of quiet in which you forget you are breathing, or all you may hear is your breathing. There is no such thing as sacredness without participation. And what is sacred derives from attention emanating from your own purifying wonder and overtaking awe. You never explain a sense of the elevated, but only appreciate being in its presence. In this way, to be touched by sheer magnitude of the sacred, to never be the same again, but deepened. 
made smaller, made better. Given perspective, gratitude, the moment remained in light. So that's my take on a definition of the sacred. Uh, to me, anything can be sacred if we pay attention to it. Um, for, for me, the most important word in the entire divine liturgy in church services in the Greek Orthodox Church is the word proskomen, which is translated too gently. It says, let us be attentive. But for me, the nuance and meaning of the word proskomen literally means pay attention. And if, and, you, and if you see, if you look at it carefully, every single time it's mentioned in the Divine Liturgy, you realize that St. John Chrysostom is saying, pay attention to this. Look what's happening right now. You know, this is the anaphora. This is the um, transformation, transfiguration. Um, and it goes on many, many times. Proskomen, pay attention to the gospel. Pay attention to what's being said right now. Pay attention to the descent of the Holy Spirit. So that word for me is an essential definition of, of what is sacred. Um, anything can be made sacred if we pay attention to it. And um, that's one of the things I was saying in that article that we were sharing with each other. Yes. Um, yes. That I guess will appear sometime in the near future. Uh, it will, believe it or yes. not. <laughs> so yes. so um, that's just one approach that I, I try to involve through the medium of poetry. Mm. Mm. And, and the rest become um, social and oh. political and, you know, of, of whatever concerns us in our lives. Yes. Um, you've, you've just done a lot. Uh, you've read us a beautiful poem, but the poem itself, one of its agendas, if I could put it, not a great word to it, uh, is to help us unpack the word sacred mm -hmm. and, and just kind of consider, pay attention to what sacredness might mean. Mm -hmm. Um what you were just referring to, this article, I'll, I'll, I'll say that um, my colleagues and I are preparing a book called Rethinking Sacred Arts, um, and uh, Nicholas was one of the authors uh, because he participated in uh, a really wonderful symposium bringing together people from all kinds of disciplines uh, and, you know, both academic and, and artisanal, you know, disciplines to reflect on that question, what is sacred? Um, and I guess one of the questions uh, we kind of pose in the background is like, a lot of people think sacred means something that, you know, God or the higher power has zapped into magical sacredness. But what I hear more and more from you and from other friends is that the sacredness is about the love we uh, give something, the attention we give something. Um, and it's just kind of almost like awakening the innate sacredness of everything. Yes. Am I, am I? Yes. That's why I believe here? whatever we pay attention to, whether it's a relationship is, can be sacred. There's a line in the poem you just read, uh, there is no such thing as sacred without participation. Yes. Did I yes. get that right? Yes. Um, unpack that for us a little. Well, I, I believe personally that when we pay attention to something, we participate in it. We, we interact with it. And I think that is the goal of the human condition, is to be able to emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, socially interact with each other and share and communicate um, so, so that it's not in isolation. Uh, 
that's why I appreciate um, conceptual artists, um, singers, um, Joni Mitchell, uh, who is experiencing a renaissance now of appreciation. Yes, she is. Yes, and yes, and all of all of these things help to connect us. For me, the ultimate connection is divine. And I think that's the goal for everybody, is to not be isolationist, unless it's politically expedient. But, uh-huh. right. but right. um, my entire purpose in, in being an artist is to use language to redeem experience, turn it into a positive, as I indicated before, and to reach out to the world, sometimes to speak for the world, or speak Mm. for ourselves, hoping that the world may be able to resonate and and pick up on the message and share. Mm. Mm. That makes for a good weekend. Yeah, I think, yeah. Yeah. That and, you know, a nice cup of coffee. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah no, that that uh, that sounds like a good reason to, to go on with the inherent struggle and pain of being an artist. Yes, right? yes. Uh, you certainly don't do it for the paycheck. Unless you have a wrestling contact like Gloria. Sure. That's for sure. Few and far between are those who actually make a living out of, out yes. of this stuff. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and those who make a really good living out of it, few and far between are the ones who aren't spoiled by the, the paycheck. <laughs> yeah. I've always considered poetry but, um, to be the quiet art. Ah, uh, right. Right. Oh, that's the sound of my cat jumping next to the mic. Um, you mentioned Joni Mitchell more than once, um, without even talking necessarily about her directly, but uh, you mentioned Dylan as well. Dylan um, is the case of somebody who's probably first and foremost a poet, and then secondarily a musician, songwriter. Um, what about these artistic media that that combine uh forms of of art you also mentioned the liturgy of saint john chrysostom which is words but it comes to us in the form of of rites of movement of of architecture of of song of textiles furnishings all of it metalwork all of it all of it right it's like one giant um you know collective work of art yes very much so um Paul Simon has a new album coming out called Seven Psalms uh, hmm. that, that I'm anticipative of uh, getting and listening to and hopefully hmm. to be enriched by. Um, Paul Simon is another important writer and observer and influence. For sure. And so, so hmm. my influences all come from music. Um, I, I, I wrote the book American Psalm, World Psalm, as a joke, because when I was a teenager, I used to tell my father that the original Psalms were the top 10, or the top 40 of the year, you know, 2000 BC. And I, I was always amazed that we've lost the music to the Psalms, the biblical uh-huh. Psalms. And so... yeah. I always wanted to interpret psalms in the 21st century, imagining what the psalms could be like with American blues music, um, mm-hmm. jazz, mm-hmm. rap, Absolutely. Um, folk music. And, and so I, I wrote them all with that music in the background. 
and and oh, that's great! It, it bleeds through into the structure of of the text. So that's tremendous! It gave an allowance to be able to speak politically and socially and emotionally and spiritually, and it it, it was a way to investigate faith and the divinity of words and language um, that we may approach. Do you have a poem uh, at hand right now that you could read that, that perhaps especially might evoke that, that sense of rhythm and refrain? I have heard you read poems before that, that have a rhythmic quality owing to the kind of refrain of words, the refrain of, uh, uh-huh. of phrases. Well, do you by any chance have one for um, us? I, I, I think I have one or two. Um, I, I'm in the middle of writing a manuscript on exile. And mm-hmm. in 2015, I was sent to Constantinople to participate in the second uh, World Summit on uh, uh, the environment and the arts. And mm. what I did not expect to encounter there were the beginnings of the Syrian refugees. And when I went back in 2016, I became swept up in um, Constantinople, Istanbul, um, uh, my relatives village of Alasata, uh, down on the coast of Turkey, and, and uh, getting the boats over to the island of Chios and being swept up in that wave of refugees suddenly reminded me that I had become so assimilated by America that I had completely forgotten that I also was in such circumstances in my childhood and being forced to live in tents and many countries and many languages and those experiences. And so being able to help translate uh, for refugees and uh, help uh, and experience uh, the efforts of the Greek islands, specifically Hios, um, provide for refugees and gather materials. Uh, the imagery of um, rehabbing abandoned monasteries to house rooms of shoes, rooms of wedding dresses, mm. Uh, mm. Mm. Which struck me as unique, and and to just see the rescue efforts and the humanitarian efforts. So I've I've been able to emotionally reconnect with my own suppressed past of similarity and uh, my own donated clothing as a child, and. Um, make a manuscript uh, that I've just completed on exile. And uh, so I I have one sample. It's called, this one is called Exile Dossier. And it has the rhythm. And it reads as follows. America asks, where are you from? Greece asks, where were you born? America asks, what do you do for work? Greece asks, what does your father do for work? Germany asks, where can you serve or function? Bavaria asks, where can you live? Russia asks nothing. Russia demands your papers. 
Italy says eat, Germany says work. America says pay me, Greece says we're on strike. Turkey says assimilate, America says no. Syria says assimilate, America says yes. Countries say we stay in power, we stay in power. We say let us sleep here. We say let us just live. So that's just one of the samples of a new manuscript. It's tremendous. It's tremendous. And it's uh, given the theme of the manuscript of, of exile, it's so uh, evocative of that theme. And of course, you're, you know, someone might say, gee, you're, you're perpetuating cultural stereotypes, but you know, uh, the other side of that is that there are grains of truth to the stereo to every stereotype, but also that um, I think you're you're kind of knowingly playing with that, aren't you? Oh, very much so. Greece says, Germany says, very yeah, much yeah. so. And I mean, the one thing that I appreciate about poetry is you can write about so many different subjects that that evolve into a unifying theme, and and. I'm a firm believer in the manuscript of poetry being the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. And, and so you can make a powerful statement that, that has a cumulative effect. And so that's why for me the political is the emotional and the political is the spiritual. Yes. That's really profound because I think uh, for many people, spiritual means otherworldly, you know, bigger than ourselves. And maybe there is a, a way of rightly understanding spiritual in those terms. But what if spiritual is here and now and the political circumstances of our, of our actual life? It does, does, if spiritual can be all these things, then what is spiritual? I guess I'm, I'm it's like I, I instinctively agree with everything you've just said, and yet it, it does evoke that question for me. If the spiritual is political and politics are spiritual, um, what is spiritual in that sentence? What is what is spiritual mean? Yeah. I, I think it means communication. I think it means the human condition. I think, for me, it means being united and sharing experience and growth. And for, for me, emotional growth, maturing, spiritual growth, understanding of human psychology, it's all intertwined. And, okay. and I, I approach that through the medium of poetry mm. and creative nonfiction. But that takes mm -hmm. more time. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think there's a kind of a connecting thread in a lot of things you've said from the very beginning of this wonderful conversation. And, um, and it has to do with participation and communication. Well, I, I thank you. you know. and I thank you for the opportunity to be able to share because when we work nine to five, when we get up at six and get home at eight, you know, there's not much time left. And any opportunity to speak with fellow human beings about things that matter in the human condition is a blessing. Mm. And, and that is a point of sacredness. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, that. I think what we have today is not just communication, you and me, it's communion. Yes. It, it's, it's, a, it's a richer word, it's a thicker word. Yes. Um, communion. And um, what I keep hearing as, as a 
theme you're coming back to today is is well as you said in your poem there's nothing no such thing as sacred without participation yes. there's no spiritual without relationship yes spirituality and 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 sacredness are political political is by by definition a relational phenomenon absolutely right? no no politics in isolation yes um so all of that is very uh not bad work for a weekend, as you yes. said earlier. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thank you. I know our time, yeah. we've got a minute left, um, but I'm oh, very no, grateful I, to you. <laughs> Hello to anybody else who can ever hear this. Uh, thank oh, you for the venue and the opportunity and being able to share. <laughs> the joy is completely mine and i'm i'm happy for anyone who's listening to this um some who have perhaps encountered you for the first time others who know your work and love it um i already confessed to you that that poetry is not one of the arts that i consider myself as understanding well and even engaging with in a very deep consistent way but uh I, t I tell you honestly that your own poetry has been some of the poetry that actually reaches me deeply and instantly, um, even sometimes to the point of tears, as happened to me this morning when I reread uh, Easter in the Cancer Ward, one of your um, early and intensely moving works. Thank um, you. Yeah. So I'm really grateful to you, uh obviously for this conversation, uh, but also just for who you are and what you do, which comes at, uh, uh, at great expense. Well, I pray you keep you. it going and, uh, <laughs> and uh, benefit everybody. Thank you. Thank God. This podcast and the Institute of Sacred Arts at St. Vladimir's Seminary are supported in part for a little longer by the Henry Luce Foundation and more and more by listeners like you. So do drop us a line. Consider how you can help us out. Interact with us. Thank you to those of you who have contributed already. Luminous was recorded at Surge Audio Online. Thank you, Surge. And as we listen, this is, this is me and Surge and music that we created. <laughs> and uh, I'm Peter Butenev. Thanks for joining us. God bless you.